Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That, a podcast where some friends from Philly get together to talk about all things movies and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, This month, in particular, we were talking about robots an awful lot and an awful lot of robot movies that we found to be pretty interesting, uh, pretty captivating, and pretty fun. Uh, And I think we've got uh, one of those that applies to all of those things today. Uh, at least in my opinion, that would be my choice, which we're going to get to shortly. But before we get to that, of course, we want to thank Movie John, our podcast network, for uh, hosting, uh, as well as promoting the show, and uh, a lot of other really great Philly-based podcasts, uh, movie-based podcasts as well that you should check out. We uh, are, of course, uh, Dave, that being me, and uh, Christine, Sam, and Connor, who are uh, all with me as well. Uh, so how are you guys doing, and uh, have you seen anything recently that you want to talk about? Um, I am watching the show on HBO. It's called The Murders at the White House Farm. And uh, it's really good so far. It's a British show. And um, there's about like six or seven episodes. I can't remember, but I'm on episode three. And, you know, it's it's one of those shows that I feel like they're building up the who the whodunit in a way that like, you know who did it from episode one, basically. But I'm starting to feel like that's not going to be it. There's something else because, you know, who wants to watch a show or, you know, who's done it? So um, I'll let you know. Lumbo fans, for one. <laughs> well, fine. Well, well, I guess well, like all like- The fall does fans. it very effectively. Yeah. But not in yeah, this I yeah, like they're okay. All right. So people have done it successfully. Um Wait, when you said the title The Murder on White House Farm, I was like I was like envisioning like murders on the White House lawn, like in the garden <laughs> of the White House. I was like, do tell me more. It's the untold murder sequel murder series of all yeah. Oh man, I think I would have White House mysteries. That. Yeah. <laughs> but the show is good, even though it's not White House mysteries. It's still a good show. <laughs> Once in a while, I fall prey to TLC garbage television. Mm-hmm. And so the latest thing that I've been watching is season three of the show called Smother, which okay. is um, mothers and daughters who are entirely too close. Um, and so there are some, you know, it's hard to know what's, uh, fiction and what is reality, but there are some things that I'm like, I really hope you're doing this for TV. Cause if you're wax doing a bikini wax on your own mom and vice versa, I hope that's not a reality. Somebody lives in, oh. um, season one and two were incredible. And so most of the people have come back and it's in the same, like shot in the same style as 90 day fiance. So you're kind of like bouncing between the different families. Uh, but it's a wild show, and we watch it with a group of friends and have a really fun time group-watching it. So uh, when they put season three, and it's airing week to week on Discovery+, Plus, I was we were all very thrilled. So I don't know if I can recommend it, but I have a hell of a lot of fun watching. The only thing I have to report is that I uh, have now, I, I watched recently Fast and Furious 7. Um, I guess I'm like building up to... Fast 9 or F9 and this was the one where Paul Walker died in the middle of filming it so there was the big montage at the end uh it was the action is great I don't like I had no intention of watching any of the Fast and Furious movies and like 
like my friends who want to do the like watch a movie and text at the same time are like pushing watching all the Fast and Furious. And I think I'm just going to get swept up in the moment and get all the Vin Diesel that I can, you know, like while I can. Because I think he's going to stop at Fast 11, I think he announced. (laughs) Really? Uh, Why in particular? Do you know? Because I think, or no, it was, it was some, he had some caveat that like Dom Toretto or whatever his name is can have a spinoff, but the franchise, like the like full ensemble franchise is over, which is so selfish. He's like an executive producer of the entire franchise. So he's like, everyone else is done, but me, we can focus on me now for uh, four more movies. They're doing a Harry Potter where movie 10 is going to be split into two parts. Oh my God. All right. So, you know, you, you milk it for all you can. You know, if something has been going on that long to make 10 movies, fine. Do it. Right. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll be looking forward to seeing how that pans out. Uh, in the meantime, I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, this episode pans out. I mean, this is uh, our continuing robot theme, that being pretty wide open to interpretation. But my mind went right to one place, and that would be 1987's RoboCop. Uh, this is uh, an American sci-fi action film directed by Paul Verhoeven and written by Edward Newmeyer and Michael Miner. The film stars Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Ronnie Cox, Kurt Woodsmith, and Miguel Ferrar, among others. Uh, it's set in crime-ridden Detroit, Michigan in the near future uh, and centers on police officer Alex Murphy Weller, who is murdered by a gang of criminals and subsequently revived through the macro corporation Omni Consumer Products, or OCP, uh, as a cyborg law enforcer named RoboCop. Uh, Unaware of his former life, RoboCop executes a brutal campaign against crime while coming to terms with the lingering fragments of his own humanity. And we watch it all unfold in a way that is uh, loaded with satire and totally insane violence. Total budget, an astonishing 13.7 million. Uh, Box office gross was about 53 million. It's 102 minutes, and it came out on July 17th, uh, five days after my birthday in 1987. Definitely one of my favorite action movies of all time, and a movie that I've seen an awful lot of times. I watched it about four times in the past week, and every time as soon as it ended, I wanted to watch it again. Uh, So I'm very, very excited to get into all the nuts and bolts, uh, no pun intended, of RoboCop. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to seeing what everyone else in the room thought, uh, since obviously I quite enjoy the film. Was this anyone's first time seeing this movie? Yeah, it was mine. Oh, Sam and... also mine. And Christine. And Connor, I know that this was a revisit for you. I I must have seen this in middle school, so quite a long time ago. Um, So it was great revisiting it through the eyes of an adult. Yeah. Well, why don't you speak to that? What was your opinion on uh, returning to this after so many years? Kicks fucking ass. What else can I say? <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of Paul Verhoeven. I, I've i seen Total Recall probably three or four times. I just recently rewatched that, maybe just like six months ago. And so it's cool going to RoboCop because it sort of has a lot of the similar things with Total Recall, but also feels different in a lot of ways as well. Mm-hmm. And interesting how a movie on policing in the 80s can still feel really relevant in 2021 today. So... I thought that was an interesting lens to kind of think about it and you know, all the changes that have happened in the past you know, year plus. And also, I didn't quite realize how introspective a lot of this movie is about Murphy trying to piece together his former life. I really enjoyed 
uh, the emotional journey he goes on in the back half of the movie, which is something as a kid I probably just didn't pay attention to. Cool. So maybe a more uh, a more rewarding rewatch with uh, of time. That's cool. Uh, well, uh, what were the uh, other opinions since it was their first time viewing them? That'd be uh, uh, Sam and Christine. I'm interested to see what a fresh take on this movie would look like in 2021. Um, I I don't know how to answer this question. Um, I will say that my soul left my body at many points throughout the movie. <laughs> Um, there were points that had me like laughing out loud and cringing. Um, so it was a really enjoyable watching experience. I watched it with two of my roommates. And so we were all like being really vocal with the movie of being like, ah, or, oh my God. Um, but like genuinely moments of like pure hilarity. Um, I don't, I don't think it's supposed to be, but I think like a lot of like action movies from the eighties are a little bit like this where things that are, you know, purposely being overacted or just being out like outright ridiculous. Um, so I, I appreciated it. I have no idea where I come down on liking it or not liking it. Okay. Well, I think a lot of those things are things that I would uh, would agree with, especially as concerns a lot of the humor of the movie, whether intentional or not, especially because it is such a satirical film and it's so gratuitous in a lot of its uh, displays of violence and hypercrime and all these other concepts. So I think uh, I think you may be onto something early on with that, at least in my opinion, as a big fan. Christine, this uh, your first time seeing it. Yeah. Uh, a year ago, I had seen zero Paul Verhoeven movies, and I've now seen four. Uh, I've seen uh, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, and uh, Starship Troopers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's really fun to see the, the through lines of all of his, like, consistent uh, themes and elements uh, to all of his movies. I feel like this and Total Recall are kind of kindred spirits. Um, yeah, I mean, the satirical tone with interspliced commercials, cuts to TV programming, and as Sam mentioned, like over the top gore and body horror, which I also just exclaimed in like just was roaring with laughter. I feel like it really effectively heightens this like horrifying yet all too real uh, dystopic future in which basically like every element of society is like mechanized, privatized, uh, like commodified and I think it really, I think the movie does such an effective job of like uh, setting up this, this world uh, that's definitely holds a mirror to the problems with current, uh, current society in like, in, in a way that, yeah, it, that is definitely uh, satire. Like, do I think that this movie like develops all of its characters like to their core? No, but like, I, 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 I really, uh, really enjoyed it. And I thought the practical effects were so cool. Mm -hmm. I'll, I mean, I will probably, no, we'll most definitely explore this later. But when uh, Murphy takes off his helmet, mm. it looks so good. The co combination of the prosthetics of, that were clearly like on his head, where it merges the mechanical back head, it just looked so good. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it was definitely... Uh, a, a, a fun uh, and horrifying ride at the same time. 
Uh, Christine, that just made me think about a comment my roommate made, who she could probably hear me actually, um, made about RoboCop when something like dramatic was happening. She's like, I know what I should be focusing on, but for some reason I can only look at the Robo butt, which like I have (laughs) not stopped thinking about because (laughs) that's right though. Yeah, the the his whole shell is oh I could okay. There's Robobutt, but there's also Robocalf. Were you checking out those the like balls on the back of his legs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were definitely just like these sculpted Robocalfs. Yeah, it yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> it's quite a costume and at times weighed uh at, in different variations because they built seven different suits, some of them to display combat damage, uh, some of them that were lighter weight. And the lightest one was about 35 pounds. The, most, the heaviest one reported to be about 80. And Peter Weller throughout the entire shoot was, uh, beyond, at least beyond a certain point because they were shooting in Dallas in the summer, uh, was losing probably about three pounds of water weight a day which is pretty intense. Uh, he had a very, uh, very tough struggle with this movie. Uh, Peter Weller, uh, by the way, obviously being uh, Alex Murphy, also our RoboCop, uh, titular RoboCop, who, um, yeah, who, who also uh, Weller, I mean, he went, he went off to Juilliard for like several months. I believe it was two or three months to go uh, and speak with their like foremost headmaster as concerns like physical movement acting classes and things like that. Um, so like, you know, things like miming and, and things like, uh, you know, really uh, physically performative but nonverbal physical uh, performance. He studied under this for several months and then returned to the set where they had built a suit that was entirely non-conducive to any kind of fluid movement. So it delayed the movie for about two months while they had to completely redesign the suit. <laughs> so was that hit Weller in the suit the whole movie? Uh, th- well, yeah, in most of the movie. There's a handful wow. of, like, stunts, uh, you know, when, like, the gas station's exploding, which is incredible. Uh, but but no, in general, that's it's pretty much just him. And, you know, I think he really does a great job of mastering the kind of movement and everything. So, I mean, there's a lot There's a lot to unpack with all this movie, obviously. And uh, so, to, I mean, to begin with, it really kind of just sets the stage really well. We get a dystopian near future of the city of Detroit. Uh, it's on the, the brink of social and financial collapse and overwhelmed by crime with dwindling resources. The city grants mega corporation Omni Consumer Products, or OCP, control over the D- Detroit police force. Uh, we get a great opening shot with the Detroit skyline uh, and a robust, iconic theme song. And then, boom, the superimposed RoboCop Chrome logo, uh, which cuts then to the nightly news, which is a really cool Verhoeven staple. He often uses that in other films like Total Recall. He uses it in uh, Starship Troopers to sort of like do stage setting, but in a way that is, you know, sort of like slice of life familiar to us as viewers. It almost just feels like we're being immersed in to the to the world that he's building through necessary expository dialogue because it's a newscast. Um, it goes over things like uh, that in uh, Pretoria, uh, being on the verge of uh, collapse is, is quelling its regional violence with the threat of a neutron bomb, uh, failure aboard a national space uh, defense station uh, has, has caused a lot of mechanical problems. The city of Detroit are considering a police are considering a strike after having been bought out by OCP. So right away we get, you know, crime, policing, mechanized defense, and all of it kind of haywire uh, into an ad for elective commercial surgery with the mechanical organ transplant with the tagline. And remember, we care. 
So that just really does a great job for me of setting the tone of everything that the movie is about in a really quick and stylized way while also giving us the expository context for what's going on. Any thoughts on that opening bit? I love the like fake news, you know, that's a loaded term now, but the, uh, you know, fictional news broadcast. <clears throat> There's this uh, game developer called Remedy Studios who've made quite a few awesome games, Control, Alan Awake, Max Payne. Um, and they also utilize a lot of these like newsreel or fake movies or kind of like multimedia elements. And I think that's just an incredibly effective way to teach the audience about the world without voiceover, without saying this is what happens in the year 2028. Um, just a great, like you mentioned, Dave, slice of life of you know experiencing what it's like to be in this world. And Total uh, Total Recall did that really well in the opening mm-hmm. scenes where um, it's advertise the company advertising like the possibility of of like you know being your better set. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Connor. It's great world building, um, and it adds to the it, it sort of sets the satirical tone and sort of the absurdity of situations by like contrasting it within the movie's world, sort of what's going on in the moment versus what are um, sort of commercialized versions of like ex- commercialized extensions of what's going on in real life. And later on, there are wonderful moments when in the middle of horrific scenes, characters turn to the television and get glued to whatever's going on. Uh, and these, uh, you know, talk shows or stupid <laughs> sketch gags. And it's mostly like that, that one show, whatever it's it's called, but it's with the tagline, I'll buy that for a dollar. I'll, I'll buy that for a dollar. This gross ass guy. <laughs> yeah. On TV. And, and I think it just, it, yeah, it does a wonderful job of, of heightening, uh, the grotesqueness of like an absurdity of whatever is going on in the action in the supposed real world. Well, and then that also does make a point to let us know that, you know, while the police have just been bought out by OCP and they're, they're struggling to, to cope with that reality, you know, their, their public service now being privatized in the meantime, crime Lord Clarence Boddicker uh, played by Kurtwood Smith uh, is being sought in connection with, 31 police killings so it basically it establishes that the police force in detroit is being stretched thin not only in the sense that they have been bought out but also they're being kind of creamed on the streets we then get an introduction to our main character officer alex murphy when he's transferred to the metro west precinct which is way more rough and tumble jurisdiction than uh where he's been assigned uh and he has assigned a new partner and lewis now, that gives us a really cool introduction to her that I really love. I mean, a really great introduction also to the environment that he's going into. I love the, like, cliche, chief shouting down corrupt defense attorneys kind of vibe. This is very, like, 80s procedural trope with a very obvious institutional bias. And, uh, and also making Murphy aware of how chaotic this new environment is. Uh, by example, because an apprehended criminal is being brought in and lashes out at several of the police and this is new partner, Ann Lewis, who he hasn't met yet, who dispatches this uh, this rogue uh, rogue person pretty handily because she's kind of a total badass. Uh, what do we think about her introduction? And what do we think about her character, at least initially? I really loved her character because um, she's so smart. And with it, like she recognizes Murphy almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she worked with him for what, a day? And- yeah still like 
was able to identify him and then like works to help him. That's a lot of loyalty for someone you've known for so long. Um, but I also think it's because like he died like in front of her. So that's like a traumatic experience. I think. I also think that she has, um, there are my three favorite moments in this movie and she has one of them at the very end, (laughs) um, which I'm sure we'll get to, but, uh, yeah, she's, she's definitely a highlight for me. Having seen, uh, three other Verhoeven movies, I was honestly surprised to see a female character that was not (laughs) over-sexualized in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Verhoeven has an interesting track record, uh, at least, of what I've seen of like, and I am sure to be argued that some hypersexualized female characters in other movies are done so with supposed intention. But I also, from what I understand, Verhoeven has a weird um, track record with women in general, but like, uh, he did yeah. make showgirls. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so, which I guess is having its Renaissance now or something. I, I don't know. I've never seen it. But um, anyhow, I love I loved the character of Lewis and uh, yeah, she brings smarts and heart to to the movie um, in, a, in a really effective way. Well, nice. And I mean, then we kind of shift gears. I mean, after we're introduced to Murphy uh, and he's introduced to this new environment via Metro West. Uh, after he's met his new partner that he's been assigned, uh, again, Ann Lewis, who we just discussed. Uh, then we cut to the OCP senior president, uh, that is Dick Jones, demonstrating a droid called ED-209. Uh, it's a law enforcement droid designed to supplant the police entirely. Uh, ED-209 malfunctions during a demonstration and brutally kills an executive allowing an ambitious uh, junior executive, Bob Morton, to introduce the chairman or the old man to his own project, RoboCop. Uh, so there's, uh, there's a lot to unpack with this sequence and it's a wild one. I mean, it, it earned the film the X rating originally. I think the streaming version right now is actually the X rated version, but the theatrical one was recut to exclude a few moments of the violence described therein. Uh, Kenny, the guy that is uh, shot, in the boardroom is actually one of the white boys from I come in peace, a movie that we've discussed before. I was watching this time and I was like, I seen that guy. And then it, it just suddenly pinged you fucked up Kane. And I was like, ah, I know you, but his, <laughs> his murder is insane. I mean, the, the ED 209, which has an awesome design. is totally menacing, especially when growling like a tiger for some reason. <laughs> And it blows this guy, this poor executive, Kenny, uh, through this demonstration to absolute smithereens. It's something like 200 squibs were used within the several shots that we see. There's an insane amount of gore. And I love the responses, too, right after this horrifying shooting of someone just shouting, somebody get a goddamn paramedic. It's like, dude, somebody better get a mop because this guy is just soup. He's dead. And then yeah. the chairman's callous response, too, after after all this, to Dick Jones, who's demonstrating his new technologies. Dick, I'm very disappointed. The the shot of the CEO just with his head in his hands, as everyone gets up from the boardroom table and you just see the head CEO just like <laughs> head low, deep in his <laughs> hands, just shaking. This scene was without a doubt uh, my t- like top favorite moment, um, <laughs> mostly because of how they reacted after the fact of getting the paramedic and everybody's just kind of like milling around this horrifically dead body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Oh God. I don't think it should be that funny, but it is. But I think that's that's what Kaprahovit's going for. There is an obvious satirical callousness to this boardroom, even in the event of them seeing one of their coworkers basically liquefied by this present this presentation and this demonstration. Yeah, and the body is splayed over the new model for Delta City. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they've just unveiled this spanking new city plan with these high sky rises, and then it's covered in blood in this guy's body. It's like, okay, yep, this is setting the tone for the whole movie. Yeah, and there's a really great there's a really great kind of moment too before before the horrifying shooting, which establishes the kind of general plan that OCP is is trying to influence here. They're trying to basically privatize all social services in the city and gentrify and destroy the entire infrastructure of old Detroit in order to pave way for Delta City which if you know Detroit's history as far as this freeway system is not inaccurate and does a really interesting job of like pitting this, this corporation as being fixated on, uh, uh, you know, ridding the city of crime through its investment in the police force and these advancing technologies. He even says at one point, old Detroit has a cancer and the cancer is crime. It must be cut out. Um, but the, it's not really a genuine investment in fixing the city. They're doing that just so that they can pave way for corporate advantage as they completely retrofit the city with a bunch of new workers that will be there under their employ through their various branches and capitalist subdivisions. Uh, so there's a lot going on in that boardroom. Well, and, then what, the shooting. and what we learn later is that he's using, um, I'm just going to call him Red from that 70s show because he's absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. Kurt, Kurt Wood Smith or Clarence Boddicker. Yeah. I could Kurt not Smith. unsee it the entire movie. <laughs> Which is so great. And he's one of the best parts of the movie. I can't wait to talk about him more. And he is, he's like the crime lord of Detroit or this part of Detroit at least. And so this company is using him to like control things or so it's like the hand is in both pots, which I think yeah. is so great. And just before we move on, the effect of ED-209 is incredible. Like this is what I love about movies from like the 80s or 70s, like these great, great effects. And I think it's, it looks a little silly today, but knowing the craft that went into making something like that, it's just absolutely incredible. It's one of those things where you're obviously seeing stop motion on screen, but presented in real time and, and like seemingly in real time with other actors, which seems pretty incredible. Uh, and it's just the kind of thing you don't see anymore. Like you don't have to see that kind of thing anymore because technology has advanced beyond its necess- necessity. But man, is it refreshing to see on screen. When he is fighting, I, I can't remember, is it RoboCop when he's actually like they're fighting? Oh yeah, they have a moment later on. Absolutely. When he when when it stopped because it like fell down the steps. It <laughs> <laughs> seems so good. Yeah, we're gonna get to that too. And the screaming, the like, yes! pig squeal coming out of the the fucking mecha- like body is so intense. I was like, did they go into like a slaughterhouse, record a bunch <laughs> of squealing pe- or, like squealing pigs, and then use it for this machine? But oh, and the toe, the little dinosaur is adorable. Toe, he's trying to walk down the stairs. But, I felt kind of bad for him in the, mo- in, in the moment. Me too. <laughs> the level of detail of that model is absolutely insane. And then there's a moment later where he, it's only his legs and like all the little bits and pieces that are moving or struggling. It's uh, a sight to behold. Yeah, and we're going to see more of uh, ED-209 later on because it, it seems as though right now, via the story, he's pretty much shut down. It just made 
a disgraceful performance in blowing away this employee. Uh, and it's Dick Jones's idea. So he's kind of got egg on his face. And then again, uh, Bob Morton steps in to suggest that, hey, I've got another idea. What about RoboCop? So meanwhile, uh, Lewis and Murphy, the two new partners, uh, or newly assigned partners, are pursuing the notorious criminal Clarence Boddicker, that uh, Kurt Wood Smith, as we've just talked about, who, um, who he and his gang are, are fleeing from a botched robbery. And uh, then at a steel mill, they ambush and torture Murphy until Boddicker shoots him in the head, seemingly killing him. So a lot that goes on in this sequence, too, that's also insane and really violent. First of all, before this, I love that Lewis, now just, as we talked about, very observant, just assigned this new partner, makes notes of Murphy practicing this sort of like gun hip spin, uh, which is something he learned to impress his son, uh, who is a fan of a show called TJ Laser, which I definitely want to see. But that's, you know, something to keep in your back pocket, as does uh, Lewis. Then we get Murphy's uh, iconic line when he confronts Boddicker and the gang, dead or alive, you're coming with me, which you should also keep in your back pocket. Again, good screenwriting, sowing some seeds here. Uh, Boddicker and his gang are really great. We have uh, Paul McCrane as the kind of skull-capped Emil. We have the great, as always, Ray Wise as Leon. And we have Jesse DeGroins as Joe Cox, who is always snapping off one-liners and cackling. Uh, Boddicker himself is played, as we mentioned, by Kurtwood Smith. Apparently, his mother named him Kurtwood because she thought the name Kurt was too common. So she said, Kurtwood. And to this day, he has said in interviews, I might be the only Kurtwood on Earth. <laughs> but he, he he's incredible in this movie. He's hilariously cruel. Um, he's really strangely cast and apparently cast uh, and costumed to resemble Heinrich Himmler. Uh, he also improvised a lot of his dialogue. Um, you know, see a line in this sequence. See, I got this problem. Cops don't like me. So I don't like cops. Which again, iconic. There's line upon line in this movie that are iconic. But then we get to uh, Murphy's murder with the gang. So how did that? How did that go for all of you guys? <laughs> after, I love after already seeing someone blown away. I love it. They're like, I'm out of ammo. Oh, me too. Me too. Me too. And she's just like watching on in horror as there's just like nothing that she can do about the murder of her day one partner. Mm-hmm. Um, watching it, one of my roommates was like, just drop to the ground. <laughs> he was just like standing and getting shot repeatedly. Oh, and when his arm gets shot off, I was like, can that happen? <laughs> but, I mean, it's not important, but like. Pretty close was, range with several shotguns. That could do the job. I was it's like. like a, it's like a raw chicken cutlet hanging off of his <laughs> shoulder <laughs> with like blood splurting out. It's rough. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I knew, I knew where the movie was going. So I was like, I know there's needs to be a body to then transform into RoboCop. But I was mm-hmm. like, the guy's dead. Like, I, like when they like, started to resuscitate him in the hall, I don't know. There was some like question. I was like, how is this? But then again, I was like, all right, Verhoeven clearly loves to just like, let this horrific gore rip and just have a body, st- as Sam mentioned, standing and just getting shot out, which I think it, it sort of adds to the f- sort of farcical nature of the scene, but uh, while being horrifying and terribly gruesome as well. And definitely, yeah, I, as it seems we all understand, intentionally so. It's hyper-violent. His hand's blown off, then his arm. Then he shot about a dozen times at close range with shotguns until, as we mentioned, he runs. they all run out of ammo. 
Boddicker himself lays the final blow with an awesome 180-degree pan that shows both Murphy's face and then within the same shot, a huge gore pack explosion visibly blowing his brains out, or at least in the director's gut. And Verhoeven said in interviews about this that he does sort of imagine RoboCop via the script he was presented with as a, quote, American Jesus. Uh, And in this sense, this scene is his crucifixion, right down to the taunting gang referencing the priests who mocked Christ upon his crucifixion. Jesus. Now that is endowing your character with way, way too much power and significance. He goes into it a lot and it's really funny. That is hilarious. That is very funny. That is some Zack Snyder shit. (laughs) To Uh, hear him talk about it is very fun. This is another another thing about this movie that has just let my soul gone. It's it's left. (laughs) It, It happened like briefly when you said uh red was supposed to be like <laughs> but now this american jesus I, it's a lot going what? on yeah paul verhoven i mean he's always got he's got some staples you know he's got uh co-ed showers which we've seen in this movie he's got interrupting commercials and uh newscasts uh and seemingly also has a lot of strange things going on underneath all of those usual staples at least in this movie He's such a, like, I would never want to be in a room with that guy. (laughs) As I understand it on the set of Starship Troopers, and this may be a lie, there were several cast members who were uncomfortable with being nude on camera, so he himself was nude (laughs) while directing. That solves nothing. No. Very strange. Oh, my God. What a a strange, strange man. (laughs) Uh, But only he could have brought us this and Showgirls. Um, so after this, Morton has Morton, uh, being, you know, this younger junior executive who's now stepping in and Dick Jones's failure, uh, to impress the old man, the chairman of the board, uh, has Murphy's corpse converted into his RoboCop program, uh, basically turning him into a powerful and heavily armed cyborg with no memory of his former life. RoboCop is programmed with three prime directives, serve the public trust, protect the innocent and uphold the law. The fourth prime directive is as yet classified. I love, I do love that even though he's been blown to smithereens, that the EMS trauma unit rushes in and, and while he seems to be dying, Murphy recalls sort of foggy memories of his wife and son. Then it cuts to black for like five seconds. Uh, apparently Verhoeven wanted that to be about 40 seconds of a black screen in silence, but the studio talked him down. And that would have been great. That would have been kind I of, I'm, I'm sold. I would have watched it. Uh, but then we immediately get uh, after that, like after that blank cut of silence, it seems the Murphy, our, our protagonist, as established, is dead. We then immediately cut to his POV when robotically resuscitated. And we see the team working on his programming and his features. Morgan comes through. He's surveying the, the progress of his project as his underlings are working on him and suggests that uh, even though they could save the arm, they should remove it to further prove the efficacy of the total body prosthesis. They also apparently improvise all of the beats where they're working on him. The actors in those scenes apparently included the New Year's party because the crew happened to have some uh, party supplies on hand. That whole sequence is so masterful. Mm -hmm. You don't get any shots of them working on his body. It's all first-person perspective, which is such a wonderful and creative way to, to depict this like RoboCop transformation. You just get his perspective, the screen, the green grids, and, and like 
the scientists and people working on his body talking at him or talking around him. Mm-hmm. And it's just, a, it's such a wonderful way to kind of suggest this like coming into consciousness, but from that like inner body experience. And yeah, cause it's like how many, how many like face off scenes do you see like, Oh, the like surgeons working on this and that, and like, Oh, there's going to be this cool transformation. It's just, you see it from his perspective and then that only makes his like bo- like finally seeing his full body that much more sort of intense because uh, it's just such a sustained first person scene. Yeah, which is my next note is his reveal and how great that is. I mean, he, he walks in basically suddenly he's up and moving and they're like saying like, they're having this party to celebrate that he's finally functional. And we see, again, it's all the first person perspective as he rises into that situation and everyone's like, this is for you. This is for you. Clearly RoboCop is now RoboCop. But the way that he's revealed to to us, the audience, because it cuts from that POV to like the curious police force, like the police officers in the station, like sort of like darting around as he approaches through this frosted glass. So they even they immediately don't get a good look at him. Neither do we until it finally reveals him, which is really, really great. And, and reveals his new voice too, uh, the sort of like monotone, robotic and augmented voice that rings of Peter Weller, but is clearly augmented. That's so funny. I was like, Peter Weller, like I enjoyed him in Buckaroo Banzai, but like, I feel like he's <laughs> not the most animated performer. He kind of is like, I would say kind of mechanical in his like acting stuff, but I was like, he's perfect for this role. He nails yeah. the movements. He nails the, the sort of uh, monotone delivery. Um, and I was like, yeah, a spot on choice for this role. Yeah. And this is a great time to get into, you know, the fully formed now RoboCop, you know, he's not quite Murphy anymore. His memory has been wiped and now he is a, kind of a cyborg machine uh, that is programmed for, three uh three quote-unquote justice directives and a fourth yet unknown so how do we feel about his peter weller's embodiment of these this sort of movement of that sort of vocal tone of the delivery of his his movement through in and out, through in and out of the frame like what what do we think about his physical performance especially because i think it's really pronounced in how appropriately robotic but still dynamically expressive it is i think it's such a you know, it makes, I'm glad you, I didn't know that he went to Juilliard to kind of like study some theatrical movement. Like it definitely seems like mind and body working in one, every movement is purposeful. And I think that's a great setup for later in the movie when he's having these violent dreams or he's sort of fighting against some of these robotic instincts. So to set up something so robotic, so calculated to then his attempts to try to break away are just super compelling to watch. So I think throughout the whole movie, his physicality is, um, very much on point that scene where he's who is it when the woman is about to be like assaulted and he shows up but you see like his shadow on the wall and it just like grows and grows is that what it is yeah i lost my actual mind because it's just so ridiculous (laughs) but like I loved that. That's one of the ways that they like revealed his whole self. I thought like it was really cool. And Christine, you mentioned this before, but the like the special effects of like his his cyborg body and and human face was just really like for what eighty seven, like that's really cool. 
Uh, yeah, that's that's a really neat effect. And that that's something that comes into play uh, in full display a little bit later. Right now, he's still because he is coming out of this and it's seemingly kind of a robot. He just has this like cold face covering, like kind of like a helmet that blocks out like down to his nose. So we really only kind of see uh, Peter Weller acting throughout a majority of this movie with his mouth and uh, some great mouth acting. If you ask me, I think he does a good job <laughs> in that sense. If only they cast him as a uh, Cyclops in an uh, 80s X-Men movie. I think that would have been. <laughs> or 70s, I guess, when he was younger. Yeah, it's got some dread vibes, too, to go back to another episode. But RoboCop, uh, now fully formed and assembled and uh, and uh, up and running, is assigned the Metro West uh, beat and is hailed by the media for his brutally efficient campaign against crime. But Lewis grows suspicious that Murphy uh, may be RoboCop based on the unique way that he spins the gun, which is something that we've seen him do before when they just first met and were assigned as partners before he was killed. Within that, there's a lot that goes on. I mean, we see RoboCop out on the streets in three different scenarios. Uh, we have first this uh, this armed robbery at uh, just sort of like a corner store where he, uh, a, a robber in like RoboCop's old Detroit hypercrime fashion comes in with an assault rifle. Um, and he stops the man from assaulting uh, the mom and pop operation by like, bending the barrel of the gun in on itself and then like clotheslining the guy. Um, We then get a second scenario that we already kind of alluded to. That one is right in front of like a coming soon Delta City billboard. We see this woman running from two attackers who are uh, pretty pretty obviously about to assault her. When RoboCop shows up, uh, he brandishes his gun. And uh, though the one attacker is holding her uh, hostage by the throat in front of him, Robocop perfectly aligns the shot and shoots through her dress, shooting him right in the dick. And, uh, and the guy falls to the ground. Uh, the other guy pretty much immediately surrenders. So that's how Robocop handles that situation. The woman runs to him, thanking him. But, uh, you know, he's a robot police officer. So his response is something to the effect of like, uh, what is it? You have suffered an emotional shock. I am notifying a rape crisis center. That. I didn't like that, but... Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> I'm not crazy about that either. Um, there, there was one in the first robbery of the convenience store. So many great details throughout this whole movie, but when the guy, you know, the guy's robbing, is like, I want the safe. He's like, we don't have a safe. And he just knocks over a ton of Miller Lite and there's just a safe yeah, hidden inside this pyramid of um, Miller Lite cans. And then that's when we see, I think it's the first time we see that. I buy that for a dollar. Or maybe the second time we see that little program. It's in the mix, yeah, one way or another, almost all the time. And the funny thing is, when we first cut to that scenario, like the store, for, the storekeeper is like cracking up watching that delivery, which is apparently a very common line in that show. He's but, just dying. <laughs> yeah, everybody seems to really love that show. And then we get one third scenario, which is uh, basically a hostage situation, which he upends. Uh, a disgruntled city employee is holding the mayor and several others hostage, and he grabs the perp through a wall and then throws him out of a second story window, which is captured on camera, which cuts then to a newscast of everyone being like, RoboCop, what is he? He's doing great. There's something to that effect. <laughs> but one thing that I thought was really cool also about that sequence with the hostages is that we see uh, for the first time RoboCop's thermal imaging vision. And that was a practical effect in the sense that uh, they green screened the background and the actors were wearing painted jumpsuits so if you look really closely on an HD rendering, you can actually see the zippers within their uh, UV body index. <laughs> Again, $13.4 million. You got to figure it out. I love that. That's incredible. <laughs> I also, I love this trope, and I hope to see it more often, of somebody with like a robotic 
appendage just like busting through a wall and grabbing people that happens all the time in the winter soldier comics and we saw it in uh captain america and the winter soldier so i loved seeing that i was like yes more of this sam have you seen the terminator movies no that this is exactly what you want then (laughs) cool that will be something to look forward to that's great we also get while he's on patrols, like some really great quotable quotes is the uh, obvious, like your move creep, which is off quoted. But another one that's off quoted is uh, again, when we see Robocop and all his glory coming and going from the police precinct, uh, Lewis, his former partner or Murphy's former partner is starting to recognize some of the mannerisms, especially that spinning gun motion. And she tells him in one moment while he's uh, navigating the police precinct, Murphy, it's you. So uh, like with the, the kind of, um, one-liners that he starts dishing out over the course of the movie after, you know, breaking up heists and saving the day. It's kind of an, it, it raises a question of like, are we supposed to root for Robocop? Like, like it kind of complicates who this hero is, I think in a really interesting way, because you get his like one-liners. You also get this music that comes up as he's driving around fighting off crime it's it's sort of this tv hero music that's awesome that's, score it's just it's all a great score triumph. it's yeah. a great it's exactly it's yeah. this elevated triumphant music and it's funny but it also sort of like at least the way i was watching it it kind of complicated my feelings about like how we were supposed to feel about robo on one hand we're like invested in murphy the person and then after this transformation and where he's like half mechanized or pretty much 80% mechanized, but then is like fighting to like get in touch with back in touch with his humanity. But you're like, he's still this like automated killing machine. And like, how are we supposed to really feel about this character and the way he's treating other people? And I think in the scene, Sam, when you rightly brought up like him just telling this woman you got to contact the rape hotline like in this very mechanized tone it's like this is further emphasizing his inability to like connect with people or like like to do other elements of a job that are necessary to like that interpersonal relationship that element like the finding alternate like I, that's going down like a whole other road. But I think it, it definitely, the movie in an interesting way complicates like how we're supposed to view Robocop as a character. And I think it leans into sort of like, wow, he's commodified in himself. Like he has the one liner. You could see this town, like all of a sudden being like, yes, Robocop, we're going to come out with the dolls and the TV shows and the one liners. And like, this is the route he, go- he might be destined for. It, it is more of a product than a, than a, a person at this point or something, right? One of my favorite moments is part of the news broadcast where he goes to an elementary school and there are just like 20 kids just jumping on him and grabbing him. Like This dude is like, he has guns hidden in compartments. He is like a mechanized killing machine. And he's just like stoic, I guess is the word. He's like just not enjoying or really thinking about any of it. And when it's like, what's one piece of advice you have for these kids? And it's just like, Stay out of trouble. (laughs) I, once again, the news broadcasts, I really feel like helping to flesh out and certainly makes me think about how should we feel about RoboCop and, you know, how does he feel about his surroundings? Clearly nothing because he is RoboCop. 
Yeah, and interestingly enough, when he has become, for us, the audience, seemingly, uh, or at least as uh, as our consensus seems to go, is is becoming, you know, more uh, discomfortingly robotic while uh, policing these situations, uh, is being hailed and uh, hailed in photo ops. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, perhaps a very prescient movie. I'm so glad you brought up the scene where he's in the school because I personally felt like that was one of the moments where you can see him cracking just like a little bit because that one little girl who focuses on him, like, like literally stops him in his tracks. And then all the other kids come around and I just, I, I, I personally felt that it was a moment of maybe him not remembering his son, but just like understanding that these relationships are important and being like, is this this familiar? Hmm. Yeah. It's a really, that's an interesting pickup there. I, I, I don't think I've ever noticed uh, something quite like that, but I should watch for it because it sounds like something I wouldn't be surprised by. That's a cool idea at least. So, I mean, at this point, RoboCop is, you know, is, again, pretty well established, but has this weird lingering doubt now as introduced by his former partner, unbeknownst to him, Murphy, it's you, almost just sort of like echoing, resonating in his mind. So then during routine maintenance, RoboCop experiences a nightmare of his, his own death, or at least Murphy's death. He bursts from his chair, he leaves the station, and he encounters Lewis, again, you know, addressing him directly as Murphy. Um... And then he goes out onto the streets, seemingly with a, an almost like conscious, uh, a conscious, purposeful, like in a conscious and purposeful manner. He's he's obviously driven by something that he's just becoming aware of, which, again, we've seen him pretty much just fully robotized a roboticized one of those two words up to up to now via his, uh, his resurrection as Robocops. But it seems like he's kind of onto something. And then he runs into Emil, who was one of the people from Boddicker's gang who actually killed him. Emil recognizes him from his uh, iconic uh, dead or alive, you're coming with me, uh, and then begins freaking out, we killed you, we killed you, and shooting at him. Uh, he then apprehends Emil uh, and is beginning to understand that there's perhaps more going on as far as his identity than he knows. Uh, he returns Emil to Metro West and uses the police database to uncover Emil's identity, Boddicker's identity, and ultimately his own identity through the police record. This the scene, the nightmare scene, I think is where this movie goes from just surface level policing satire into investigating what does it mean to be a robot? And I love, I think the nightmare sequence is not show well, because we get his perspective kind of, for, you know, and then him in the chair, then what he's seeing on the monitor, because they can see inside RoboCop's mind, like the scientists mm. when he's plugged into this chair and the way he's just thrashing and moving and what a great, way to disrupt the status quo of what RoboCop is, because in a different movie, it would just be him slaying people for the rest of the runtime with some other complications here or there. But I thought this was a great twist in the plot of him working to uncover his deeper self. And just that nightmare sequence, I think, is just uh, phenomenally shot. Yeah, and we see him further exploring his humanity immediately after. He, He actually goes back to his former home, uh, the home that he now knows uh, the residents of, having done the research on his own past Murphy's police uh, police service record, which he's had access to. So he goes back to his former home, and um, while exploring his former home, Murphy's uh, former home, which he's coming to understand himself to be, he keeps kind of having these flashing memories of an almost, as Verhoeven describes it, a kind of paradise lost. You know, we see the the home is for sale, but still littered with remnants of his family's former lives. 
there are just sort of these flashes of memories that we've seen him have before, but with more detail. So it kind of, it, it, it just sort of cements the idea that Murphy is emerging through this programming, through his, his kind of memory of who he was in a lot of ways, which is, uh, is, is pretty interesting and really poignant as ex- he explores as RoboCop Murphy's former home and the home that he shared with his wife and child who apparently have uh, left the scenario behind after his funeral. And I think what a great way to show just how powerful human consciousness, human emotion, um, just how powerful these feelings are and, you know, how memory lingers on. Rewatching as an adult, just very surprised at how really deep I feel like this movie goes into what does it mean to be human, which is not what I remember as a kid watching RoboCop. And I don't remember the scene of him revisiting his family home and experiencing the memories of Halloween and Mm -hmm. um, really standout scenes that I just totally forgot as a kid. Yeah, and as that's going on, we also have another scenario elsewhere. Jones has gotten uh, Boddicker. Again, Jones, Dick Jones, uh, the guy who pitched the failed uh, ED-209 plot earlier, that other robot as an alternative to RoboCop. Uh, He's enlisted Boddicker to murder uh, Morton, who is the creator of RoboCop, basically in revenge for his attempting to usurp his position at OCP. Uh, This is a really brutal scene. Morgan is uh, doing coke off of a woman's chest when Boddicker bursts in, quipping, bitches leave, which is, you know, I mean, it's delivered well, I'll give it that. Boddicker shoots Morgan four times in the legs, uh, plays Jones's taunting message to him, uh, and then places a grenade just out of the injured Morgan's reach, uh, blowing up the entire apartment. Uh, some really neat commentary here, too. I think that a wealthy corporate dude who is basically responsible for militarizing and corporatizing law enforcement is seen here with sex workers and doing coke, neither of which I have a problem with necessarily, but there's an obvious hypocrisy there. Yeah, this scene for me was very much it is what it is um, because I was just like, eh, you know, some people just like take care of their own and take care of figuring this stuff out. But the bitches, what was it? Bitches get out of here or bitches leave. Bitches leave. (laughs) Which which actually supposedly might go back to a set thing. Paul Verhoeven would describe what were scripted as sex workers as the bitches. And then the bitches come in and the bitches go. Why does this not surprise me? Classic fucking Verhoeven. Yeah. (laughs) hmm, Yeah, yeah. But for Kirkwood Smith to make it a joke on top of that, as a meta thing, I think it's kind of funny on Kurtwood Smith's part at least. Yeah. I mean, it really made us laugh and we decided that that's going to be one of our things. We're just going to say bitches leave. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's done it. It's made its its way into our our hearts and homes. It's definitely for better or worse, one of the many iconic lines from this movie. (laughs) Um, I mean, just after this, RoboCop tracks down Boddicker and the gang and a shootout occurs, uh, this at um, sort of like this uh, Coke refinery or like a Coke assembly line place. He brutally assaults Boddicker, uh, who confesses to being Jones's uh, lackey, pretty much. RoboCop attempts to kill Boddicker until his programming directs him to uphold the law. There's a lot of really cool stuff about this shootout. The shootout rules with RoboCop using his like visual tracking software to help him blast his way through like 10 people and individually targeting them. Um, there's the nice triumphant version of the theme yet again. Uh, we get a shot of RoboCop's feet crunching down on the vials of cocaine as he walks, which is pretty on the nose. We also get uh, Boddicker being thrown through, I want to say like four or five plate glass windows. 
And while being strangled, he stammers, I work for Dick Jones. Dick Jones runs OCP. OCP runs the cops. You're a cop. And then just before strangling, Rogobo Cop releases him saying, yes, I am a cop. I just love this cocaine factory setting. It's such a bizarre place. And what a great excuse to have some like visual variety of just powder everywhere. Yeah. Um, like it's just a, amazing, just adorable is not the right word, but just really endearing, endearing, just okay. like scenic filming. Interesting word well, too. this yeah. assembly line is like powder being like strewn about into small vases, like imprecisely <laughs> like thrown at these little vials and vases. <laughs> like, it's well, all a little bit gets out, you just rub it on the like, gums and you're fine. Right, it's yeah, just a day at like, work. For something that is like a very expensive commodity, they're just like, eh, all right, just gonna throw it here and there. It's so funny. Yes, certainly adding to the, uh, the, the farce of it all. And that has another one of uh, my favorite Kurtwood Smith improvised lines as Boddicker uh, in the midst of this drug deal is, uh, come on, Sal, the Tigers are playing bop, 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 tonight. <laughs> like, it just seems like he's really, I mean, everyone feels, it feels like everyone is reading the room in this movie and everyone knows what they're a part of. But to just see him unload and have so much fun, especially after playing a character, you know, or is going on to carry playing a character in that 70s show with like such a stick up his butt and seeing him just go like full ham with it. It's just so endearing, maybe because of that 70s show, but I think also on its own. He's just having such a fun time. Just He's really taking the role for a walk. Yeah. Just living in this Verhoeven universe and just living it up for all it's worth. Uh, so then he, you know, he arrests uh, Boddicker. He then attempts to arrest Jones, uh, Dick Jones at OCP Tower and Directed Four, which again, we haven't seen before. We don't know that directive uh, is apparently a fail safe measure used to ner- neutralize Robocop when acting against OCP executives. So Jones admits his own culpability in Morton's death and releases ED-209 to destroy Robocop. Again, that the uh, alternative droid that we saw in the beginning, once again, back in stop motion action. Um, and he has a great line there. He said he tells uh, Robocop, he's like, you're a product and we can't the like intention of directive four is like we can't have our product turning against us, which I think is a is an interesting line. Yeah. It's, what do you think that you're a regular police officer? You're our product and we can't have our product turning against us, can we? And how sad when he's like because directive four shuts Robocop down. But instead of just like powering down actively fighting and jones comments Mm -hmm. on him fighting and then during this battle i love with uh, ed209 his he gets shot many times but you see a little bit of robocop of murphy's eye Mm -hmm. pop through the visor and at this time you know i know that we see his face but in the film it's sort of like well does he have eyes like what does his face even look like and so that little glimpse of humanity um is still there within him as he fights this pure full robot and as he's fighting his own programming and learning more about his former self so that that eye reveal is really important in that scene and then of course as we discussed that he escapes because the edt uh the ed 209 adorably can't go downstairs which is a really funny oversight too in the sense that like it was it was presented in in its very flawed fashion not only in the beginning of the movie accidentally blowing away an executive but that it's also like an urban assault robot that can't go downstairs those friggin' T-Rex toes are just, <laughs> I know I mentioned it before, but I just can't get that out of my brain. 
just like tapping at the stair, the stair below. <laughs> this this thing might be my favorite character in the whole. <laughs> it is like there's never any chill. It's one hundred percent all the way, all the time. <laughs> and when he falls down the stairs and is on his back, his little legs just flipping in the air. I was like RoboCop, run! But he stands there and just takes in the folly of ED two hundred nine. Yeah, the folly is a good way to put it. Um, so that's left thrashing on the stairs, hilariously and squealing, pathetically, but also very humorously. Uh, but as RoboCop is trying to escape, he's assaulted by the police, who are now basically instructed that in spite of their admiration for him and his job uh, cleaning up the streets at a time when they're being slaughtered, um, they're, they're ordered that, you know, he's a rogue property. He's he's trying to kill an o OCP employee, which they are now in the employee of because they've been privatized. They have to shoot RoboCop and they shoot him about a billion times. And as they're shooting him, the, the more mournful version of the like triumphant score comes in. Uh, it really kind of obviously illustrates uh, a hearkening back to when Murphy himself was actually killed, you know, constantly being blown away by a bunch of assailants. Uh, and it's really heart-wrenching. I mean, the physical acting as he's kind of crawling but still going on and accentuated by the music telegraphing the emotionality, it's a really great sequence. And then he gets away only because uh, his former partner, who kind of knows that he's Murphy, uh, Lewis, shows up in a car and they, they get out of there. And they abscond to uh, the steel mill. Which I read was filmed in Pittsburgh, right? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because like I, I had seen that it was, most of the city shots were in Dallas. And then... You see these scenes um, in the in the steel mill, and it's like they're scenes of like rolling hills with trees, and I'm like, mm, that does not look like anywhere in Texas. <laughs> and then I read, I, and I'm pretty sure it's, it was filmed outside of Pittsburgh, which makes makes sense. No, does make sense. It's also the 1980s, so you have to have a steel mill in your action movie. <laughs> it makes for a great set, just all the tubes and vats of toxic waste, which I'm sure we'll talk about. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And we're about to get to that really shortly. I mean, in the meantime, uh, you know, they've they've run off to Lewis and uh, RoboCop, who I'm going to start calling Murphy. It feels like he now knows that he's Murphy. So Lewis and Murphy, uh, they run off to the steel mill. And there's some really great scenes with uh, Murphy remembering his former identity. We see him remove his helmet, as we've talked about, revealing the face kind of stretch over and onto the robotic parts that are still the back part of his head. Lewis brings him some jars of quote unquote food the sort of green brown sludge that we know him to eat, uh, which kind of endears him to her. And Lewis reveals that after his funeral again, Murphy's wife and son left Detroit and moved on. He remarks uh, mournfully that he can feel them, but he doesn't remember them. So sad. Yeah, RoboCop really can't catch a break. So, I mean, angered by OCP's underfunding and short staffing, the police force goes on strike. The city of Detroit descends into like total chaos as riots break out through the city. Jones frees Boddicker and his remaining gang, uh, arming them with high-powered weaponry to destroy RoboCop uh, in order to destroy evidence of his involvement and co-conspiracy with those criminals. Uh, and there's some really great hypercrime stuff here in the street where everyone is smashing windows and running around. Boddicker and his gang are blowing up everything with these high-powered weapons. And they seem to give him a sort of RoboCop tracker, which indicates that he's at the steel mill. But as far as that scene goes, I really, I really do enjoy the kind of chaos and fun that Boddicker and his gang are having, especially the one, another really quotable line, which is uh, Emil firing off the, the sort of like high-powered cannon thing at a car and totally blowing it to smithereens and his, I like it. 
Uh, he also bought the six uh, six thousand sucks or the yeah, six, or six six thousand yeah, <laughs> which, which is we like keep that referring to. Car. It's such a great detail of like arbitrary, stupid ass car names, but also like I also had seen references to Detroit being a very specific setting because it was like a, a comment on the declining auto industry as well mm-hmm. and like the impact that it had on the city. And uh, I think just the detail of, of, yeah, having a ridiculous car name. And then, and then one of Boddicker's crew, like, finally getting the car that he wants that's in the advertisements is a, is a nice touch. Yeah, and Boddicker has the same car, so he blows up the other guy's one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. dime a dozen, I guess. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, Detroit... Uh, you know, known for the gutting of its auto industry. And also, I mean, this probably being an undercurrent of this movie is, well, actually a very obvious overtone of the movie is automation and fear of automation. So that being part of it as well. So they know they're at the steel mill. So Boddicker and his men uh, go there to confront and kill Robocop. They're quickly eliminated. And Lewis is so badly injured uh, that she is basically uh, incapacitated. Uh, but not before killing one of Boddicker's other men. Murphy becomes trapped under some steel girders uh, as dropped by one of his men, but even so manages to kill Boddicker by stabbing him in the throat with uh, that data spike. That's basically this big metal middle finger that he's got in his his glove. Uh, So all of this going to say, there's tons of great shit in the sequence. It's maybe my favorite part of the movie. I mean, we have Emil with the toxic waste. We gotta talk about that part. It's so rough. It's like <laughs> Toxic Avenger meets like, I don't even know, like some scary ass shit. It, the, I mean, it, the, 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 the prosthetics are amazing and he's terrifying. And then when he's like trying to ask for help from one of his like friends, colleagues, whatever, the guy's like, get the fuck away from me. I don't know what the exact line is, but it's, he's definitely not willing to help. <laughs> it's Ray Wise. He runs at him and Ray Wise's reaction is, don't touch me, man. <laughs> but but like all of this is happening and you see him like progressively get like more distorted and whatever. And then he gets hit by the car and oh, just completely <laughs> eviscerated. It's so gnarly. Because yeah, he, he what happens again, Emil is driving. Um, so he drives after Robocop. Robocop gets out of the way. Emil smashes into with his van into a toxic waste container and emerges horrifically deformed with his skin dripping off. He's just this wreck. And then is only to be plowed over while seeking help by Boddicker as he's driving through the scene and basically totally liquefies. It's so rough. Yeah, his head goes like up the up the fucking windshield and <laughs> yeah, half half liquefied. It's oh. it's really gnarly and really great. Uh we though also have a Boddicker shooting uh lewis murphy's partner several times but she still manages as i said to use one of the cannons to kill ray wise um, after ray wise has dropped this huge bunch of scrap metal on robocop robocop you know it, or well, murphy murphy i should make the correction uh is pinned by this metal Boddicker is stabbing him with the steel bar which is close enough for him to get the next bike thing in which is really brutal death too i mean kirkwood smith uh really gets his comeuppance in this one and just bleeds out on screen really dramatically the neck bleeding is rough. It's great. It's gushing blood. Um, this, so remember how I said I had like three favorite scenes. This is, um, uh, I, th- I, I put this at number two um, mm-hmm. when Lewis 
shoots and kills and like blows uh wise up yeah. uh it's hilarious because he just he like comes out of the the like little hub or whatever and he's like i did it you know like i'm not the way and then she's just like <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile like she's just like laying in the water the whole time i was like oh my god infection i, I couldn't really like focus on the movie because i was so worried about that but then explosion beautiful absolutely beautiful well, then we also get how that scene rounds out too. Sam addressing the, you know, the risk of infection and everything else. She just says, as she's like, you know, lying there, they're, they, they've killed everyone. But, you know, Murphy is pinned under these metal girders. Uh, she's been shot several times and is just kind of lying in the mud. And she says, Murphy, I'm a mess. And Murphy reassuringly, yet ominously replies, they'll fix you. They fix everything. It's such a good line. And part of me was like, movie, please just end right there. I was like, if the movie just decided to end, I feel like it would have been such an effective, reassuring slash very, very uh, horrifying ending to both of those characters. But of course it doesn't end there. But uh, you, when you brought that line up, I was like, I remember being like, the movie just cuts to credits there. I will give this an infinite number of stars. Yeah, it really says everything, in, 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 at least in that context. And then leaving that context entirely, uh, we, we don't get Lewis. Uh, you know, we understand that she's been cared, cared after. She's been, you know, she's probably in a hospital somewhere or something like that. But Murphy still has unfinished business. So Murphy confronts Jones at OCP Tower during a board meeting. Uh, he reveals the truth behind uh, Jones's involvement in Morton's murder. And uh, Jones takes the old man, the chairman, hostage. Uh, but it's probably fired from OCP, which nullifies Directive 4 for RoboCop and allows him to shoot Jones, sending him careening through a window to his death. The old man uh, then compliments RoboCop, which we'll get to. I'm so happy you did that, Connor, because I watched that twice <laughs> just so I could see his arms. <laughs> and that shit's crazy. Yeah, I've got a note on that, too. I mean, when he's shot. Well, first, I love that... Um, Going into the scene, Murphy going up to OCP, first he destroys an ED-209 on his way using one of Boddicker's like giant like cannon rifles and leaves his legs like comically wavering before collapsing, almost like it's a, a what, an ATST in Star Wars. But we also, that's that's a moment where we, where we actually see Murphy, not RoboCop now, but Murphy smile a little bit after having done it, which is really great. Then he goes up and yeah, I love the old man's reaction to Directive 4. Um, and that whole hang up because, you know, he seems to understand what's going on as he's being held hostage and shouts, Dick, you're fired! To which uh, he then scurries away and uh, Murphy offers, thank you, before shooting Jones through the window. And then the arms. Yeah, so what happened with the arms was that uh, Jones's arms are famously huge and disproportionate as he falls out of the window. Uh, this is because of a wide angle lens that was used to film the claymation puppet of Jones falling. As so that's why that happens. As hilarious as that moment is, it does not look good. Like it's funny for the raw. <laughs> oh, for the, it looks horrible. It looks like he's flapping. Yeah. I was like, that was the best take you got. Like that. That was the that's the one you went with. I love this movie's use of throwing people through windows. Mm -hmm. It it's it's all the time. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> But that, that leads us right to the end where um, the old man, now having been saved by Murphy, uh, compliments his shooting and asks his name. Robocop, but actually Murphy turns 
and reprising and, you know, uh, sort of earning back his identity through all of the struggle and learning about his former self, turns and finally affirms for the audience, Murphy. Then cut right to black, uh, title RoboCop, the huge blooming theme. And every time it's over, I've seen it, I can't tell you how many times, at least 20 times, every single time it ends. And I just pump my fist in the air and shout, yes! That's a pretty good ending, yeah. Have you seen any of the uh, the sequels? Yes. Yesterday, uh, just for a refresher, I watched uh, RoboCop 2. Which Are has they a lot garbage? Of, it's got a lot of interesting ideas that it doesn't handle well. Uh, it doesn't have nearly the same tone as this movie, even though it tries to. It's way more tongue-in-cheek and comical, which really, really diffuses it. And it's just too many cooks and just too many ideas. There's just... It, it's... Or a buffet of too many competing dishes. It just becomes too much to navigate. Oh, I love a buffet of too many cooking, competing dishes. <laughs> my ideal spread. Well, maybe RoboCop 2 then. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe RoboCop 2 will become my favorite um, movie. Highly doubt it, but I, I was just oh, yeah, curious to know if any of the other ones were worth watching. Yeah, RoboCop 2 is okay. Uh, RoboCop 3 is bad. Don't Don't bother. And then the 2014 remake of RoboCop, a reboot of RoboCop, is total trash. So oh, avoid yeah. that one altogether. Who was in that? Uh, uh, what's it? Joel Kinnaman, I think his name is. Michael Keaton. Yeah, Michael Keaton. It's and Gary Oldman. It's got an okay cast, but it Samuel L. Jackson's in it. Uh, but it, yeah, it's 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 total lob the ball. It really doesn't capture any of like, it tries to capture the sense of satire, but without any of the consideration of nuance. So it's basically like, instead of like the news clips that kind of illustrate where the world is and the political issues and the political environment, it's like Samuel as Jackson as like a Tucker Carlson slash Bill O'Reilly figure, just doing a Fox news bit at the beginning and end. It's, it's garbage. I'd say avoid it. I was just looking up RoboCop 2 and it was directed by um, Irvin Kirshner who directed Empire Strikes Back. Yes. But yeah, it's uh it's yeah, it's too many ideas. Too many ideas for one movie, I'd say. But you know, give it a chance if you like this one. I'd say it's worth seeing if you like the first one, even though it's disappointing in my opinion. Robocop three, though, in the reboot, just just skip it all together. And uh, and watch this movie as much as possible because it's life affirming. It really it really was great. It really made me very, very happy at a time when I was feeling pretty low this past week and was watching it several times. And pretty much every time it ended, I thought to myself, I'd like to watch that again right now. And it's really interesting because I've never seen a movie where every time I see it, after over 20 viewings, every single time feels like the second time I'm seeing it, where I know all of the beats, but I'm still satisfyingly surprised and jazzed about it the entire time. That's exactly how I feel about The Mummy. So like, I really understand. Yeah, it makes sense. That's, I mean, that's the favorite movie. I was like, that's how I feel about Blade Runner, but like, too bad we've already talked about it on the podcast. And I can't do it for Robot Month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's 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 a strong connection to a good movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely a favorite of mine. Uh, one that I'm kicking myself for not having included in my top twenty uh, for episode one hundred. But uh, you know, I already have several amendments to that list that are withstanding. So um, I'm sure we'll be thinking about that more in the future. But any final thoughts on RoboCop and uh, how it applies to, you know, obviously our theme of robots as we've been discussing it this past month? Excellent. Thing. I, can I share one funny uh, story I have about RoboCop? 
please. So, so I had um, this teacher in high school. He's from the Northeast, Northeast Philly. So he had this very thick Northeast, Northeast Philly accent. Oh, yeah? Um, oh, yeah. His name was Mr. Doherty. Uh, he was a Latin teacher. He was such a hard ass. And he was a kid. Like, if you're a freshman, you're terrified of him. But when you're a senior, you're like, oh, this guy's like fucking hilarious. Because he just likes to fuck with everybody. And so I had him for a ancient Roman mythology and architecture course, uh, which was such a cool class. Um, I'm so glad I had Doc for a non-Latin based class. And so we watched this. We had like a filler day like you know, or two like at the end of the year. And so Peter Weller narrated and like hosted like a History Channel documentary on Rome. And so it fires up. Doc pauses the screen and goes, you see that guy there? That's Robocop. Says it again, presses play, <laughs> says nothing for the rest of the class. He's probably thinking, you know what I would rather be watching right now is Robocop, but I can't draw any connections between this ancient Roman curriculum and Robocop. <laughs> That's Robocop. Dead, dead or alive, all roads lead to Rome. <laughs> uh, so Robocop, because of Mr. Doherty, will always, and because it's a great film, but that story in particular will always have it. It'll hold a special place in my heart. Nice. Obviously, I don't have any connections like that. That's kind of like top tier. But I was talking to um, a friend, I was talking to Matt about this movie today. And he informed me that Detroit is considering uh, robotic cops currently and how that might actually work. So this movie told the future. Who knew? Yeah, there's a lot to think about, too, as far as, you know, uh, police s- striking because of defunding and uh, my complicated inter- intermixed feelings on uh, both defunding and unionization. So I don't know. It's a complex one. But it gives us a lot to think about. Uh, it gave us a lot to think about in the 1980s. And I'm, I'm glad it remains prescient and entertaining today. Uh, I was really glad to have talked about it. We'll be really looking forward to next week's episode as well, because I think I'm going to have to spend I'm going to have to start tonight combing through all sorts of stuff. Uh, for this upcoming episode next week that I'm really looking forward to. That, of course, Christine's pick. So uh, join us next week for more robots. Uh, But until then, does anyone else have anything they'd like to plug or anything that they would like to recommend? Be sure to follow Movie John uh, and the Movie John Podcast Network on on Instagram. (laughs) You okay? Instagram, Facebook. I had a a moment. Uh, Yeah, we love our podcast network. We love our fellow podcasts. uh, So be sure to check those out. One of those fellow podcasts, by the way, our friend uh, Tori's uh, Killer Bees, which uh, just recently did an episode on Peter Weller. So be sure to link into that. Do you think that they talked about the uh, H- the uh, History Channel series on Rome as a part of Peter Weller's uh, <laughs> that was filmography? The first pick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this really showcases his vocal range. <laughs> Hi, I'm Peter Weller. You may remember me from such films as this, RoboCop. And <laughs> It'd be great if like his his like voice was more animated doing a History Channel series than it is for like any of the other movies he's been in. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Thank you for joining us on this animated discussion, and we'll look forward to seeing you folks next time. But until then, have a good whatever. <laughs>